All right, guys. Well, good morning again. We're going to get into the Word this morning uh, here at Flourishing Grace. And there, there are Bibles. We want you to open your Bibles. And so there's a Bible uh, in the rack underneath the seat in front of you. And so you can reach down there, fish around, find that if you didn't bring your own Bible. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25 this morning. Matthew 6, 25 is on page 900 in those blue Bibles underneath the seat. I'm no idea what page it is in your Bible, um, but when you get there, you can just maybe shout it to your neighbor. Tell your neighbor what page it is. Uh, page 900 in the Blue Bibles is where we're going to be, and we're um, kind of wrapping up this, se- this series in uh, the pursuit of the kingdom. And so when you get there here at Flourishing Grace, and we believe this is God's word. It's a treat. It's a gift that he's given to us to increase intimacy and obedience all at the same time. And so in honor and reverence to the word, if you would, if you're able, would you stand with me as I read it for us this morning? Again, Matthew 6, we're going to start in verse 25. Verse 25. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount preaching these words. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Yeah, so we are finishing this uh, this kind of short series on the pursuit of the kingdom. And, And the kingdom is one of the core pursuits at Flourishing Grace. This falls into a larger series where we've been talking about, men. what are the core things that we as a church want to be after, that we want to be chasing after and pursuing and giving our lives to? And one of those things is the kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God. You say, man, why do you want to give your life to that? Like, what does that mean to give your life to you? Why should anyone do that? Because in this text, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Right? But above all other things, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So if Jesus says we should do it, we should probably do it, right? It should probably be one of our core pursuits, one of the core things we are chasing after. And so far, we've been unpacking this and looking at kind of the, the history of the kingdom of God. And then we also, last Sunday, we kind of looked at the, the great climax, the, the, the moment where Jesus becomes king. Last Sunday, we said that this is the gospel. The core of the good news, the mantle, the centerpiece of it all is this truth. Jesus became King. If you want, you can go back and listen to the last week's sermon on Easter Sunday about how everything else either flows in or out of that, right? Everything else are the things that needed to happen. It needed to happen in order for Jesus to become king. He needed to die on the cross and raise from the dead. And as he walks out of the grave, he becomes king. 
or their implications that it's the goodness, it's the sweetness that we get as a result of him becoming king. The grace and the mercy and the kindness of God, the new kingdom and, and, and his future coming and, and, and everything that's involved in that, it's all a part of Jesus becoming king. And this morning in this text, Jesus is offering us a, beauty, a beautiful alternative to the kingdoms of the world. So the first thing I want you to see, we're just going to get right into it. The first thing I want you to see this morning is this, the kingdom is beautiful. It's beautiful. The kingdom of Jesus is absolute beauty. It's stunning. It is staggering. It is the only, listen, it's the only beautiful alternative to the kingdoms of this world. Many people will present to you alternatives to the way the world lives, but there's only one beautiful alternative. YouTube is filled with people saying, here's a better way to live, but there's only one truly beautiful alternative to the kingdoms of the world. And not only is it a beautiful alternative, right? Jesus in this text is saying, it's an anxiety-free alternative to the kingdoms of the world, right? It's anxiety-free. Jesus says, don't be anxious, which is terrible advice to anybody who has anxiety, by the way, right? Like, does they say, hey, just, just don't be anxious, Right, my mom, who either watched the 915 or she's watching right now because she watches every Sunday. Hi, mom. Um, her, her, her line to me, whenever I get worked up, she's like, oh, just calm down, Joshua. Oh, just calm down. It's like, hey, mom, guess what's not helpful when I'm worked up? You saying, just calm down. Like, that's not how it works. Like, that's not how people become calm by people just telling me, you just need to calm down. Like, that just makes me more angry, right? And she knows it. That's the thing. She absolutely knows what she's doing in that moment. Oh, just calm down, Joshua. She knows, right? But Jesus goes on to explain, like, the reasons why we're anxious and then the solution. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will be taken care of. All the kingdoms of this world, as Luke's account of this is how it says, in Matthew it says, the Gentiles, the Gentiles seek after all of these things. And it produces anxiety and stress, right, and turmoil within them. All of the kingdoms of the world are seeking these things. And your father knows you need them. He knows you need them. So seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus is presenting a beautiful, anxiety-free alternative. And yet in the kingdoms of this world, anxiety is on the rise. We see this all the time. Right now in America, in the West, anxiety is on the rise. And it has been for a long time. And it's going to be, and, and the age of anxiety is decreasing all the time. It's getting younger and younger and younger and younger. And anxiety is increasing, 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 increasing in younger and younger and younger people. At the end of 2022, a study was done, and they found that more than a quarter of Americans, 26% of Americans reported that they anticipated experiencing more stress at the start of 2023, more anxiety at the start of 23 than they did in 2022, right? We just now kind of, it's just a given, right? I just assume that this year is going to be more stressful and more filled with anxiety than last year. That's just the way the world works, all right? And we've just kind of given ourselves to it. We just kind of believe that this is, this is how it's going to be and there's no real solution. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 pursue the kingdom. Just pursue the kingdom, the more we move away from the beauty of the kingdom, the more 
anxiety increases. The further the kingdom of God is from the center of our culture, the more broken culture will become. And this has been proven, it's been tested again and again and again and again. Those who give their lives to the pursuit of the kingdom, the way of Jesus, right, move closer and closer and closer to the picture of true human flourishing. And those who reject the kingdom of God move further and further and further away from it. There was a time not that long ago in the West, in the West, where we as a people shared a common vision for the world. We shared a common reality in which we lived in. And the truth that we all kind of held, right, was this. Roughly, most people in the West roughly held this truth that God, that there was a supernatural creator who created all things. And that we live in this broken existence because through man, through our brokenness, sin has entered into the world. And so we have this kind of clear picture of, and here's goodness and the righteousness of God, and here's the brokenness of man. And so we can look and we say, and these things are wrong and these things are right because God says these things are wrong and these things are right. And we could have this kind of overarching kind of story that meant one day this good, merciful God is going to make all things right. He sent his son to die on the cross to pay for our brokenness and for our sin. And one day his son is coming back to redeem and restore all things. And so we as a people can kind of collectively look at the world through that lens. And we can, we can know, we can kind of all agree roughly that and here are some things that are right because God says they're right. Here are some things that are wrong because God says they're wrong. And we could live into that reality because we had these facts and we had these values that were driven by those facts. We knew what morality was because there was a moral authority. His name was God and his kingdom ruled and reigned over the whole of the earth. And we, we kind of lived in that reality. Now fast forward to the time and the day in which we live kind of this, this time of pluralism where the, where the increasing belief is, man, there is no such thing as truth. Like there is no ultimate reality. That's ridiculous, which by the way is its own ultimate reality. Like you're proclaiming, I have the truth. The truth is there's no such thing as truth. It's like, no, no, you're, you're trying to force me to believe your truth and you don't understand, right? But what's happening is like truth is saying there is, no, there is no truth and therefore there is no moral authority. So therefore you don't get to decide what's right or wrong. Who are you? Who are you to say what's right and wrong for me, right? You are your own moral authority and you have to discover your own truth. And so you need to give your life to, to figuring out what truth is for you and what morality is for you and what is the vision for your life. Does that cause anybody a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of stress? This is what the kingdom of the world is producing in us. And the lie is this. The more, the more we just kind of press down and diminish and kind of put in the closet, put away, right, this idea or this belief that there's good and bad, that there's right and wrong, that there's beauty and there's brokenness. And we need to get rid of that idea. We just need to live into the reality and the truth, whatever is true for you. And as science progresses and as psychology progresses, we're going to move into this better utopian society where everybody's just going to get along. It's all going to work out. And so now as you turn on the news and as you look at what's happening in the world around you, how is that working out for us? Like, how's it going? Are we moving towards that? I can't tell what you guys think about this. Like, uh, is, are things getting better? It's getting more beautiful all the time? All the time, it's just getting more and more beautiful as we reject the kingdom of God. No, it's not. And we know it's not. 
anxiety and stress are increasing. Beauty is being diminished. And we know this, we can see it. We are living into a broken reality right now. Jesus in his kingdom is not some idea or some value. It is real. It is the answer to the brokenness of the world. And in the midst of our broken world, it is beauty. It's beauty. And the world knows it's beauty. The closest thing that we're ever going to find to beauty, it's the only beautiful alternative is what I said earlier. It's the closest thing we're going to find to actual beauty. The world actually agrees that it's beautiful. They do. When we, look at the, when we look at the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount, the ethics of the kingdom of Jesus, the way of Jesus, right? the world says, I agree that that's beautiful. So the idea, one of the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount is to love your neighbor, right? to, to, to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, to love even your enemies. And the world looks at that and says, that is actually beautiful. Like, that's compelling. If people could actually love their enemies, how beautiful would the world become? Like, how beautiful would the world become if we all loved our enemies and prayed for those who persecuted us, those who treated us harshly based on what we believed or didn't believe? Well, how beautiful would the world become? Now, the world also says, no way am I actually going to do that. I'm going to step on my enemy's throat. And if anybody persecutes me, they better watch out because I'm going to persecute them 10 times worse. Like, that's how we live. That's the kingdom of the world. I mean, I agree it's beautiful, but it's never how I'm going to live my life because it's broken. It's not going to work. I ain't going to let anybody treat me like that. The world actually agrees that the kingdom ethic of marriage is beautiful. Now, I know some of you are like, I don't think the world actually agrees that. They do. They do. In all of the broken views of marriage that this world holds, they would still say that the, the picture that Jesus paints of a man devoting his life to his wife, loving one woman for all of his days, the picture of a man or a woman who have been together for 50, 60 years, there's something in that the world says, that is beautiful. That's like strangely appealing. Like the idea, there's, it does something to me. It creates an emotion in me that is impactful to my soul. Yet I'm never going to live that way. Like that's ridiculous. Like man, if my husband loses his job, I'm going to put him on his broke butt. Like there's no way I'm going to stick around with that guy. Or if I fall out of love with my wife, I'm just going to move on with my life. Right? It's beautiful, but it's not the way I'm going to live my life. I'm going to live my life according to the ways of the kingdoms of the world. It's beautiful, but it's not how we live. The idea of radically becoming radically generous to the needy, but never saying a word about it never flaunting it to anybody, never, never making a big deal of it. Right? The world would look at it and say, that's actually how you should live your life. And how beautiful would it be if we, if we became, like everybody in the whole world became radically generous, but like never like boasted about it, never said, look at me and my generosity. Like how beautiful would that be? That's how I'm going to live my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save all my money and hoard my wealth for myself. Right? I got things to do. I want to I see the world. I want to travel. I want to do this or that. I want to sleep at a five-star hotel. Like, I'm not going to actually do that, but it is a beautiful and compelling idea. The world sees the beauty of the kingdom, and they admit that it's beautiful. I do not think that they would say, Man, that's an ugly idea. It's just that they're not willing to count the cost. They're not willing to sacrifice their lives in order to actually live out the way of Jesus. The people who come after Jesus must sacrifice everything to live into the beauty of his kingdom because we have a sacrificial king. And if we're going to live after Jesus, we must live like Jesus. God has a vision for the world and for his church. 
And that vision is beautiful and it's grand. It's filled with peace and splendor. It's a picture of people free from anxiousness and worry, a people filled with unity and love, a people who are outdoing one another and showing honor, a people who are considering others more significant than themselves, a people who are living into the beauty of the kingdom in every inch of their lives. And that leads me to the next thing that I want you to see this morning is the kingdom of God, it's now. The kingdom is now, okay? It's happening right now. This is not some idea out there in the distance in the future. One day Jesus is gonna come back and then the kingdom will be. Like there's truth to that. We're gonna talk about it in a minute. But the kingdom is happening now. Like in this moment, the kingdom of God um, is you are being invited to step in, to live into the beauty of the kingdom Right now, Jesus says, seek first. Like right now, be seeking the kingdom of God. Not, not someday in the future, but right now, be seeking it. Live into the beauty of the kingdom now. Abraham Kuyper was a Dutch theologian. He was actually the prime minister of the Netherlands. So like this brilliant man. And the famous quote by Kuyper is this. He says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our hum- human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It's mine. When Jesus rose from the dead, he's meeting with his disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Every square inch of human existence, the cosmos belongs to me. It's mine. It's all mine. Every fiber of your being, every cell in your body, every, every, every molecule and particle, the air you breathe, the heart that beats within you, it's his. It belongs to him. Every planet and every star, every tree, every bird, every, it's his. It's all his. And right now, you are being invited to live into the beauty of the kingdom. Now, some of you say, hang on, whoa, whoa. if it's his right now, if right now Jesus, Jesus is sovereign over everything, then why, when I turn on the news, does it not look like Jesus has much control over anything? If Jesus is sovereign over every cell in my body, why is there cancer? Why? If Jesus is sovereign over every square inch of this planet, why is there still war and violence? Why is there murder and rape? Why is there sex trafficking and child slavery? Like, that doesn't, that doesn't seem like what Jesus is describing in the Sermon on the Mount. What is going on here? You see, we live, you live, I live in this very unique space, and you have to understand the space in which you live. Um, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the, the rule and reign of, of King David, right? King David. King David was anointed by God as king as a young man. As a young man, God says, you're my king. Like, you, you are now king. That's it. You're the king of my people. And now, how many years was it between that moment and when the people, the, God's people, the people of Israel said, you are now our king? The people of Judah and the people of Israel all said, yes, David is our king. How how many years? Do you guys remember? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's like 10 years. 10 years before the world woke up to the reality of what God had already done. You and I, we live in this space, this moment, where it's 2,000 years have passed between what God has done and what he's yet to do. 
The world has not woken up to the reality of what God has already done. The truth of the kingdom, the goodness of the kingdom has not been proclaimed to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And the whole world has not woken up and said, he is king. But one day they will. There's a time coming where every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the commander of all, that he is sovereign over every square inch of the domain of humanity and everything beyond it. The cosmos belongs to him. That time is coming. And in that moment, he will set all things right He will destroy every power of darkness. Everything that wars against his way and his kingdom, his ethics, will be absolutely annihilated in that day. And he will wipe away every tear from the eyes of those who have given their lives to his kingdom. And he will set everything right in your heart and in your soul. And there will be no more mourning. There will be no more sorrow within you. Sorrow will be a fleeting memory, a thing that you cannot even remember what it was. What is sorrow? What is sadness? What is mourning? It's gone. What is brokenness? I scarcely remember because the king has made all things right. And yet we live in this moment between what God has already done and what he's yet to do. And people have not fully bought into this idea. If the world right now all bought into the fact that Jesus is king and at all costs I'm gonna live into the ethics of the kingdom, the entire globe would transform into a moment, in a moment of just beauty and peace and utopia and goodness. But that is not the world in which we live. We live in the already, but the not yet. So. If Jesus is sovereign over every square inch, the question then becomes, to whom or to what has he entrusted his sovereignty? If he's sovereign over all, who has he given that sovereignty over? Who who has he entrusted it to? The answer is not the nations of the world. It's not America or China or Europe or whatever. It's It's not the nations of the world. Those are the kingdoms of the evil one, friends. Talked about that last Sunday. Go back and listen to it. Those are the kingdoms of the evil. The kingdom of Jesus has been trusted to someone else. Who? It's not the church as like an institution, right? It's not a bunch of like old men in robes or in suits somewhere in some fancy building calling. That's not it either. It's to the saints. It's to you, to me. If you are in Christ, if you surrendered your life to his rule and reign, he's entrusted that sovereignty to you. He says to his disciples, to his disciples, to his followers, us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And I'll be with you always at the very end of the age. It's on you. It's yours. I'm giving it to you. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And here it is. Here, go. Go, you do it. I'm entrusting it to you. And what Abraham was was talking about in the speech where he gave that quote, he was talking about this theological idea called sphere sovereignty, where God has placed his saints, his followers, the believers in Christ Jesus, he's given them spheres in which he has entrusted his sovereignty to. You have spheres in your life in which you are sovereign and you have the opportunity right now to live into the beauty of the kingdom of God in these spheres, the sphere of your mind, the sphere of your heart, the sphere of your home. What if your home became a beacon of the kingdom of God, a place where the ethics of Jesus were lived out 
in every way, this radically hospitable place where everyone's invited to the table, where everyone is loved and everyone is cared for. And what if it became, the, the, the ethics of the kingdom of God were perfectly lived out in your home, your office, or your studio, the place where you do your work, whatever your work is. You say, I'm gonna live out the ethics of the kingdom fully as to the best of my ability. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live out the kingdom of God in my office. For some of you, that's gonna cost you it's going to cost you your job, but at all costs, I will live out the kingdom in the spheres that he's given me, in your marriage, in your children, in your friendships, in your relationships. He has given you dominion in these things to live into the beauty of the kingdom of Jesus. And so we pursue the ethics of the kingdom and we bring them into these simple spheres of our life. And there's so many of them where we have to sit down and think, and what has God entrusted to me? What are all the areas that is entrusted to me? And how do I live out the kingdom in those areas? What's happening right now um, in, in our culture um, is as we kind of move away from this idea, uh, we're moving into this space where we say, um, and it's kind of a beautiful thing in some ways, and it's a broken thing all at the same time. Like we have this ability, like on my phone, I can pull out my phone and I can see the greatest athletes who have ever lived in the history of existence. And I can see them playing at the highest levels of their game. It's, in, it's insane. Like I can watch Steph Curry throw a ball like from the tunnel and to the opposite end of the arena and sink it like nine times out of 10. How? I have no idea. It's boggles my mind. It's, it's insane. I can see the most amazing artists and musicians at the top of their craft with a, with a whole host of history of art and science and studying it all and creating the most beautiful and most amazing things. Technology, the technology or the richest people in the world. We can study how they've made their wealth and how they lead their businesses and we can see it all. And there's something now happening. This is the ugly part that's saying you need to become like that. You need to have greatness. You need to be the biggest. You need to be the best, right? If you ask young kids today, then what do you want to be when you grow up? You know what the number one thing they want to be is? Yeah, an influencer. They want to be a TikTok influencer. They want to be a YouTube star. Like they want to be this person who is making millions and millions of dollars just doing stupid stuff. Like that's what they want to do. Like that's the dream. That's the goal. They want to be famous I don't want to do the work. I just want to be famous. I want to be, have this vision for my life. Listen, all of these people are like 0.0000000001% of the globe. Your kids are not going to become those people. Odds are. You for sure are not going to become those people. The next LeBron James is not in this room. It's not. Sorry. It's not. You're not, okay? He's not. I love you. And this is good news. This is good news. Because you now are freed to fully live out the kingdom of God simply ordinary in the spheres in which he has given you to live. There is beauty in living a radically ordinary life, but living it faithfully before your king. Saying, here's what you've given me. You've given me my marriage. You've given me my kids. You've given me this career. You've given me this home. You've given me this neighborhood. You've given me these friendships. And I will just live faithfully before you. I do not need to become great because you are great. You are great. And so I just live faithfully before you. And listen to me. That's going to change the world. It already is. The world is a much, much less broken place than it ought to be. Simply because of faithful men and women living their lives before the king of kings. 
It's like the greatest uh, Christmas movie ever made, okay? We all know what it is, right? It's a Wonderful Life, greatest Christmas movie ever. Um, if you haven't seen it or you disagree with that, the door is back there. Um, it's a Wonderful Life. It's the greatest, because we got to move it, watch it every year in my house. It's the greatest thing, right? Where George Bailey, right? George Bailey has this great vision for his life. He's going to travel the world. He's going to see it all. He's going to, and everyone's going to talk about how great George Bailey is, how that great man of adventure and all the places he's been and all the things that he's done and how amazing is George Bailey. But that dadgum building alone, it's just like a ball and chain. He can never leave. He can never shake it off. And he just does the same thing that he always does. He's got his family and his job and his friends in this town. And he says, man, I think it should be better for everybody if I was just never born. And God says, oh yeah? Let me show you what it would be like. And he realizes how broken the world would be, all of the spheres that God has given him would be if he had not just lived faithfully and humbly within these spheres, exercising the ethics of the kingdom into the spheres in which he lived. His wife would be a mess. His friends would be a mess. The building alone wouldn't exist. The, the town would be completely shattered. Right? All because once man lived a simple, quiet life, faithfully to the king of kings. Greatness is not the calling of your life. God has an amazing vision for your life. But it might be far more ordinary than you believe. It might be far more beautiful than you could possibly begin to imagine. The kingdom is now. You have the opportunity to live into the beauty of the kingdom right now. Simply an ordinary faithfulness. Lastly, last thing I want you to see is this, and we'll get really practical for a minute. The kingdom is advancing through warfare. The kingdom is advancing through warfare. Paul constantly uses this language of warfare. He tells Timothy to suffer as a good soldier. He talks about putting on the full armor of God. He says, man, we are waging war, right? Not, not with flesh, but against the principalities and the powers. Uh, John writes it this way in 1 John 3, 8. Um, he writes this about Jesus. He says, for this reason, the Son of God appeared to, was to destroy the works of the devil. Like, that's what Jesus is doing. All right, talked about this last week. There's a wicked and tyrannical prince. The Bible says he is the, he's the king. He's the God of this world. He's the ruler of this world. He rules the kingdoms of this world. He invites Jesus up on the mountain. He says, look, I'll give you all the nations if you just bow down to me, right? He, they belong to him. He, he exercises his, his kind of crooked, broken dominion over them. And we are constantly battling over the prince of the power of the air. And we need to be awakened to this if we're actually going to live out the kingdom. There is something liberating about this. Some of you guys are like, this is weird. What, 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 what? How, we're talking about the beauty of the kingdom. Now we're talking about ugh, Satan. Like, what's going on here? I brought a friend, bro. Like, you can't, you can't do that to me. It was liberating. It's sweetness. It's goodness. Because we know, we know that every day when I begin to lean into the ethics of the kingdom of my marriage, and all of a sudden, like, everything seems to go wrong in my house and in my life. And I was like, what's going on here? I just can't, I'm getting distracted from all these things. Listen. There's a greater war happening all around you, and you're not even seeing it. There are powers of darkness waging war against the kingdom of God. And every time you choose to lean into the kingdom of God, to live out the ethics in any one of these spheres, you're going to meet massive spiritual resistance in your life. Because Satan does not want to see these spheres impacted for beauty in your life. He wants to see brokenness. 
He knows he's lost. He knows he's going down. He's going to take down every single person he can on the way. And he says, man, I will make sure. So when you live in the sphere of your career, you say, man, I'm going, to, I'm, going to bring, I'm going to bring the ethics of the kingdom into how I do everything in my office, right? Everything blows up. Right? Either your boss is angry, you lose your job, or I mean, everything's failing, and, and all of a sudden you gotta, you gotta scramble, you gotta figure out all these solutions, and you're distracted away from the one thing that is the central thing. Seek first the kingdom. Satan wants you to seek all the things. Anxiety is his best friend. Just place a little bit of anxiety, convince you that you need to spin your wheels worrying about all these things and all these fears. Your marriage is gonna be terrible if you don't do this and this and this and this and this. Seek first the kingdom in your marriage, in your office, right? You were waging war against something greater. And this is a beautiful thing. It gives us language around that. Oh, I see what's happening there now. Okay. I know why all of this turmoil and craziness is happening. It's because I'm seeking first the kingdom in this area. I can name it now. I can see it now. And I can live more rightly into the kingdom now. Like it frees us. Because here, here's why. We know who the enemy is. We know who the enemy is, and it's, it's not busyness. The busyness is the tool of the enemy. It's not politics. Politics is a tool of the enemy. It's not my neighbor. My neighbor all right, is, is under, under the influence of the tools of the enemy. Right? And so the, the ethic, I said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, of, of uh, loving your enemy, right? Love your enemy. I'm now actually free to do that better because I know who the enemy is. Right? Satan is like a matador with a cape. Saying, here's the enemy. Here's the enemy. People who believe this politics, right? people who believe this thing, people who disagree with you on this, come get the enemy. Come get them. Come get them. Right? But now it's like, no, no, no. I know who the enemy is. It's the matador. I can see him and I know him. And so I can invite everybody over here who is saying his name. I can invite them to the table and I can love them as my enemy. I can love them. I can pray for them. I can engage in life with them because I know who the enemy is. I can hate everything that they believe and everything, all the things that he's placed in their life and all the things that he's pushed on them. I can hate all of that, but I can love them because I know who the enemy is. I'm now freed from this. I'm freed to live into the ethics of the kingdom because I know who the true enemy is. We need to understand that, the, that this kingdom is advancing through warfare. Pursuing the kingdom looks like warring with Satan and not hating the people of this world. And so we must push back the powers of darkness and we do this on our knees, begging God to bring his kingdom into our lives. We do this by resisting the devil, knowing that when we resist him, he will flee from us. Knowing that in my marriage, it is not my wife that is the problem, but Satan that is the problem. Or your husband is not the problem. Satan is the problem. My kids are not the problem. Satan's the problem. My boss is not the problem. Satan is the problem. My coworkers are not the problem. Satan's the problem. Republicans are not the problem. Satan's the problem. Democrats are not the problem. Satan is the problem. Are you tracking with me? You're free to love the people of this world and hate the enemy. All right, here's what I want to do. I just want to get really, really practical for a moment, and then we'll be done, okay? I want to give you a few practical things. How do we actually do this, okay? How do we seek the kingdom? What does it look like to seek the kingdom of God? And I'm going to give you four things, and then we'll be done, and we're going to do it really quick. I promise four. That was just like three things I just gave you over this entire thing. Four quick things, okay? Um, here it is. First, we got to count the cost. 
The kingdom is costly. If you're going to live into the kingdom, okay, you are by nature, but you're going to rebel against the kingdoms of this world. You're going, to re- you're going to rebel against the kingdom of darkness, and you're going to meet massive spiritual and real life resistance to this. Okay? It's going to cost you to come after Jesus. So you may not get the job you want. You may be ostracized. You will for sure have people who call you closed-minded or ignorant, even though you are the one with the clearest truth in your mind and your heart. People are not going to understand you. You're going to be confusing to people. You must become politically homeless. You cannot champion the kingdoms of the world anymore. Right? It changes the way that you engage on social media. It changes the way that you have conversations. You must count the cost. And most of the human existence will not adopt the ethics of the kingdom because they're not willing to count the cost. To take up their cross every single day, deny themselves and come after Jesus is the cost of one who says kingdom first. Kingdom first in my life. Kingdom first in my marriage is going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Kingdom first in your house, it's going to cost you. Kingdom first in your office, in your mind, it's going to cost you. Okay? Count the cost. Um, anybody see the play Hamilton? Anybody like Hamilton? Listen to the soundtrack? No, not very many of you. Really. How many of you have listened to the songs from Hamilton? Wow, way less. Okay. Assignment for today. Write this down. Uh, go watch Hamilton. Um, my favorite character in Hamilton is King George. Anybody love the king? Everybody love the king? You'll be back. Yeah, yeah. That's like the best song in the whole thing. It's so funny. It's, so, it's incredible, right? And what they have, the people of the colonies had a decision to make. And the decision was this. We will no longer bow to the king. My favorite line in that song is, I'll send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. Da, 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 da. It's like amazing. It's so good. It's like, it's so good. And here's the reality. If you say, I will no longer bow to the kings of this world, they're going to send a fully armed battalion to remind you of their love. How much do they love for you to love the things that they love, to buy their products, to chase their goods, to buy into the lies. They are going to wage war against you. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to count the cost? Say no more. I will fight with everything that I have. Next, after you count the cost, you must choose to fight the good fight by adopting the ethics of the kingdom and warring against the ethics of this world. You fight the good fight. You have to do it every day. You have to choose every single day to adopt the ethics of the kingdom. And some of you say, well, what are the ethics of the kingdom? Step one, you must learn the ethics of the kingdom. You must give your life to the Sermon on the Mount. Give your life to the teachings of Jesus. Refuse to hate even your enemies. Fight to live radically generous lives. Adopt a kingdom view of marriage in the face of a twisted and distorted views the world holds on marriage. Adopt a kingdom views of sexuality. Adopt kingdom views of war and violence. Adopt a kingdom views of race. Adopt a kingdom views of money. Adopt a kingdom views of on and on and on and on we can go. It is not the kingdoms of this world that will give you those views is only the kingdom of Jesus. So what does our king say? What does our king say about gun control? What does our king say about immigration? What does our king say about violence? What does our king say about race? What does our king say? That's all that matters. So many of us want to claim that we have rights. Those rights are given to you by the kingdoms of this world. What does the king of kings say about your rights? Adopt kingdom views. Fight, fight 
to understand, to know what the kingdom, the kingdom values are and to live into them. Next, you must pray in the kingdom. You must pray in the kingdom. You want to see the kingdom come in your marriage? Listen, you are waging war against powers that are beyond you. So you better do it on your knees. If you're going to go to battle with Satan, you better do it on your knees. If you think you're going to beat Satan in your office, you better get on your knees. This is why dependency is one of our greatest pursuits at Flourishing Grace as well. We pursue the kingdom, but we do it dependently, knowing that only the kingdom is going to bring it about. Only the king is going to bring about his kingdom. So we must do it on our knees. If you're going to push back the powers of darkness, you better do it on your knees. We're dependent on God for the kingdom. And then lastly, you must constantly point to the king. Those who choose the kingdom, choose the king. And everything in your life must point to him. Your heart must belong to him. Everything we do, everything we do is for the name of Jesus because he's the king. This is how a kingdom works. I know we don't, we don't live in a kingdom anymore here in the West. That's how it works. The king gets everything. And you can't be like, I want all the good stuff of the kingdom. I want beauty. I want beauty. I just don't want the king. I want to do it my way. Like, I want to take all the beauty for myself. That's not how it works. Jesus brings the beauty. Jesus has given his life and he has bled that you might now, now live into the beauty of the kingdom. So you must live into the beauty of Jesus. You must cling to him with everything you have. You must give your life to be formed into his image and to adopt the teachings and the values and the, and the ethics of the kingdom that he has given us. And, and then and every single time, every single time, man, that's beautiful, that's different. So, no, it's the way of Jesus. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. And we must begin to live that now in this time and space. You are being invited to now live into a beautiful, beautiful kingdom, the only beautiful alternative to the kingdoms of this world. Right now is your opportunity to do that. It's going to cost you. It's going to come through warfare, but you must do it. You must know who your enemy is, and you must fight him every single day. Here's what I want to do. I just want to take a few minutes where we are, and I want to ask you this. man: Where in your life right now are you avoiding the kingdom? Where are you far from the kingdom? Like what sphere of your life is bringing you the most anxiety, the most stress, the most turmoil? Are you pursuing the kingdom first in that sphere? Is that turmoil becoming because the evil one's like, I don't want to see you pursue the kingdom? Or is it coming because you're trying to white knuckle it and figure it all out on your own? Where are we, have we forgotten that every square inch of our life belongs to the king of kings? Let's bow our heads and let's just spend a minute Thinking through this, what have you given your life over to? What have you surrendered your rule and your reign to? What culture war are you fighting? What problem in your office is keeping you up at night? What brokenness in your life is just wrecking you with anxiety? Friends, there is a beautiful alternative to all of it. Where do you need to release your grasp on the things of this world, on the kingdoms of this world? What have you been fighting for? What, what, what worldly kingdom value have you been scraping and clawing for? Wealth, fame, power. Which one of these have you been fighting for and giving your life to?
What cost do you need to count this morning? Where do you need to get on your knees and beg that God would bring his kingdom? I just want to give you a minute now. I want want to give you a minute to just pray that. I don't know what area of your life you need to pray it into, but to pray in the kingdom of God into one of the spheres of your life. To say, Father, your kingdom come and your will be done in my marriage as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my office as it is in heaven. In my children as it is in heaven. In my friendships as it is in heaven. In my longings and my hopes as it is in heaven. In, my, my, in the lust and the desires of my heart, would, you, would, you, would I adopt kingdom values? Would your kingdom come in my heart and my mind as it is in heaven? Where do you need to go to war right now, repelling the attacks of the evil one? I want to give you an opportunity to do that now. Jesus, this morning we declare in this place that only you hold beauty. Only you hold worth and value and majesty and splendor. And you've given us by your blood the opportunity to live into it right now. To live into it right now. So show us, open our eyes. That we might see the spheres of our life, that we might see the way of the kingdom that we might find our hope there and our delight there and that we'd fight and war with the evil one. I pray right now this morning in your name that you would push back the powers of darkness and the spheres that are all represented in this room. There are hundreds, if not thousands of spheres in this room in which you have given authority to the people that you have saved and rescued, authority to live out the way of the kingdom, to build your kingdom in their marriages, in their careers, in their minds, in their hearts in their social media, in their online presences, in their arts, in their talents and their abilities. Man, I pray right now that you'd push back the powers of the evil one, that you'd bring your kingdom, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in every sphere in this room as it is in heaven. Praise things in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus, our King, amen.